Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. And in this session, we're going to be chatting with Kim Olesky. She's LinkedIn's top sales influencer to follow in 2019. Success Magazine awarded her the most inspirational blogger of 2015. And she was the Female Entrepreneur of the Year in 2017 by Startup Canada. Her sales career started with Xerox Canada, where she ended up winning multiple awards and worked her way up through corporate sales before she finally decided, I need to step out and do my own thing and she decided to build her own company and today she teaches other business owners how to sell more effectively using a lot of those strategies and techniques that she learned over the years. She's built out training and coaching programs and at the moment she's working on her third book which is actually dedicated to her sales philosophy which is called Sell More Faster. So it's definitely one to watch out for. So it's with great pleasure that I get to introduce Kim Oleski to the call. Thank you so much David. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, you're bang on. I actually started my own sales training company specifically so I can afford flights to uh, to Sydney. So. Oh, fantastic. You're now a business expense to travel to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> well, Melbourne, is, I've never been to Melbourne, but I know Sydney. Yes. So. Well, I'm a little bit biased. Melbourne is better than Sydney. Yeah. So. I've heard. <laughs> yeah. So I know we've got tons to dive into. So we can dive straight into the session. You're going to walk us through your process that you call the premium solution sales process for getting premium price. And that obviously touches on a couple of things. First, you're selling a premium solution. And secondly, you're getting paid accordingly. So I thought yeah. maybe as a way to start, if we can just start off by having you take us through the, the problem or the challenge that this particular system aims to solve for the business owner. And then we can just go through step by step. How do you, how do you complete that? Yeah. And I think for a lot of business owners, you know, I mean, they're number one, when they start their business, they're super passionate about what they do. They love to work with whether that is, you know, engineering tech firms, like they want to work with their clients, or they're very technically skilled in what they do. And when they go ahead and they get started starting their own business, they don't think about how it is to communicate the value that they're ultimately mm -hmm. providing somebody. And by positioning ourselves as that premium service, whether you see yourself as top or mid to top, the idea behind this is that, you know, we're ultimately going after that handful of clients that will help us build our business, not necessarily going after hundreds or thousands of clients and then becoming a churn of clientele and business um, conversations all the way through. So when we're offering that premium level service, when we think about any type of company that we engage with at a premium level, I mean, this is about creating luxury. This is about creating experience for people. This is about connecting all the way mm. through. And so the pillar, no matter what it is that you're trying to sell, should be, I really care about my clients. I want to help see them achieve and grow and build their businesses, not just provide a service and be one and done and out of there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's quite common when someone gets started in particular. Business owners, they seem to be strong in a particular area. Sometimes it is sales, but that's usually rare. Like you said at the start, it's more on the tools and the delivery of the product and service. So it yeah. ends up being this hole that they don't really know how to solve properly unless they bring in some other salesperson but then usually they also don't know how to coach that person. So then they don't know, have I even got the right salesperson doing this? Well, you know, and I mean, Michael Gerber talked all about this in the e-myth, right? You know, the difference yeah. between like, you know, the technician and the other. And the idea behind this is, I mean, it doesn't matter if you are in a position where you're fortunate enough to hire a salesperson. As the owner of the company, at the end of the day, you are 100% accountable to make sure the revenue comes through. Because if you're not bringing in the revenue, even though you might have a salesperson who's ultimately responsible for bringing in the revenue, if you don't make the revenue, you're not going to tell the point the finger at the employee and be like, listen, you can't make your own payroll. Right? <laughs> I mean, you, the fingers only get pointed at yourself. And when I worked, I mean, you, in the intro, I mean, you said I worked, you know, for, for Xerox and I did, but another company I also worked for was American Express. And American Express built a culture that everyone was the salesperson. And from the top down, if you were the vice president of the organization, I mean, you still had your clients. 
that you had mm -hmm. to manage, those relationships that you had to hold on to. The idea is as you grow your business, you should be responsible for pushing the envelope and getting those higher value clients, those bigger conversations so that your salespeople can ultimately run the process for the, the ones that are going to keep the lights on and the doors open. So the process that you're sharing then is that that playbook or that that sales process that's like a culmination of all of the things you've learned working at all of these yeah sales. yeah I, I like to say that we focus on from handshake to handshake right i mean how yeah. do you how do you start that, that initial handshake all the way to closing the deal for that handshake so i mean this starts off right from the very beginning like who's that ideal client because too often we sit there and we spend a lot of time money energy on creating great marketing systems mm. but when we have somebody that comes to our door and we don't have the ability to, to invite them in right or we don't know how to show them an exclusive dinner party different than you know a kegger right like hey like we're all college students let's have a good time I mean this about you know finding that ideal client finding those right rooms really articulating you know here's the values that we we want to share because sales are is different than it was before in that our buyers are more educated and mm -hmm. we want to make sure that when they find us we can go back to them and say yes you are somebody that I would hand select you are the person that I want. And if it's inbound or outbound where we ultimately are going out there, we know where to find those people and how to start those relationships. And then the process continues on all the way through to how do we create greater value? How do we include the, the process of emotional intelligence and empathy, which is becoming even more prevalent as automation is taking over, ultimately to get to that point where we are closing those premium level services through proposal methods getting to referrals and testimonials and turning that sales cycle really, really fast, like a flywheel, right? It just rotates as fast as it can. So if we start off then, so would step one be then identifying the, the right target audience? Yeah. So, I mean, even going more fundamental than that, like figuring out what are your numbers, right? Like how many, how many clients do we even need to talk to number one, first and yeah. foremost, which is oftentimes something that people don't talk about, right? It's, well, I want to achieve, you know, $500,000 this year. I want to achieve $5 million this year. Great. What's your average client worth? How many conversations do you have to have? Is that realistic? And if it's not, then you have to make adjustments. Knowing your numbers and then from there on, okay, now who of my client base or what are those ideal clients that are going to be able to invest in that, right? What does that ideal buyer look like? And not just what do they look like from a marketing standpoint, where are they hanging out? What are some of the pain points they have? And I put pain points in quotes here because uh, I don't believe that anyone nowadays has any pain. We have Dr. Google and WebMD that has relieved everybody of pain. Uh, but but rather you know that the chasm that is created between where we want to be and where we are so we have the understanding the ideal buyer right and what are their fears uncertainties challenges goals and aspirations and that's really the key in the sales conversation so that first step and i'm going to get quite particular about calling out the steps as we go that first one then is is around understanding the numbers and that's kind of starts off with like there are probably some sub points underneath that around the goal setting and then backwards engineering. Simply, yeah. It's simply sales funnel, right? Reverse yep. engineer your sales funnel. What is your goal? Right. You know, if you can't articulate it and the goals will always happen, but you have to know the tasks that need to be done in order to achieve those goals. So how many prospects do you need to connect with? How many meetings do you have to have every single week? How many proposals do you have to have out there? And because if you don't manage those tasks, it doesn't matter how lofty your goals are, they will never happen. Yep, yeah. So that first step to get crystal clear and then we move into, let's say, step number two, which is then around identifying yeah. the ideal the target. Ideal yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's that buyer, right? What are they concerned with? What are the reasons why they would want to change? Because here's the thing is that if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And yeah. everything is working out for me. And if I do have an issue, I can go to, to Google and type in my question and find the answer, boom. Or I decide that the answer that has come up is probably too complicated or too intensive. And so all of a sudden, it's not a, actually a problem. It's like, okay, well, that's too much. But there's other things because ideally, we all want to achieve more. We want to be more profitable. We want to have a bigger impact. We want to become more profitable. So whatever that goal that your client is, how do you articulate that? And who is your customer's customer? 
right? Because if you're going to be out there as a buyer or sorry, as a seller, you want to be able to help your buyer achieve more for their buyers. Yeah. So when you're thinking about identifying the target audience, are there particular handful of criteria or something that you think about? You, you kind of touched on a few things there around, you know, who they are and what is the specific problem that they have that they're looking to solve and, you know, who are their customers to see if there's other ways that we can serve them. The person's probably going to have a little bit of an understanding of their target audience and the products and services that they're selling. So that helps to uncover. Are we talking about in this step actually creating an avatar or something like that where it's yes so so yes and then getting so clear on that that we you actually list out the hot 100 list essentially right because in sales we should be going through an outbound strategy right i mean we can't rely entirely everything going inbound who are those 100 ideal clients that you want to start a relationship that you would say, if one of those clients, one of those people, companies, whatever became my client, I would be absolutely honored. Like I want to make that happen. And so we want to list them out because as we go through the approaches of, you know, connecting and social selling and other types of prospecting methods, we're becoming much more laser focused and targeted on I, I want David and his team to take yep. notice of this. So I need yeah. to make sure that anything I put out there, it'd be something that David would more than likely find interesting. Perfect. So really that step number two gets down to the point of actually having the list of the, the target prospects. Yeah. Yep. I mean, going back to the goals, how do you achieve that if you don't know what you're wanting to go after, right? And if, yes. you know, I mean, you're, you're going to have, naturally, you're going to have people coming into you. But the idea behind the sales conversation is how do you choose? How do you hand select those clients and then start those conversations outward? Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, okay. And then we kind of move into step number three, which I'm assuming now this is we need some sort of way to get in front of that audience. Yeah. So we focus on the, like the value proposition and that elevator pitch. And we were inspired with this process by Daniel Pink's To Sell is Human book, right, which is an excellent read. And he talks about how the old elevator pitch is dead. Our model really focuses around throughout the sales process asking better questions. So now this is really where we start to introduce that question because your elevator pitch, the intention of connecting with somebody is to create a conversation. And we don't create conversations by like giving you everything that we do. Like, listen, I offer sales training process such that uh, David, do you need some now or in the future? You're like, "Ah." (laughs) I mean, but rather asking it in the form of a question, right? You know, when in your business would make sense for you to invest in sales process? Or, you know, when did you have a client that took that last proposal and said, thank you very much. I'll contact you when I'm ready. Right. And so those are the conversation starters that we ultimately want to create where it's based around a question so that we're getting a conversation going. Yeah. And the idea with this step is to have those down ready. So when the time comes and we do get in front of that prospect off the dream 100 list or the hot 100 list that you're then you're ready to go. You've got a, an idea of what you're going to be talking about and asking. Yeah. Well, I mean, whether it happens through luck and circumstances, you happen to be at a yeah. trade show or a networking event, or you're using it as an opening into a conversation that you may start through LinkedIn or social media, or perhaps you're, you actually go, which is step number four, place the phone call or the email. I want to have a relationship with you, David. This has to start somewhere, right? If I want to date you, I have to get over the awkwardness of stepping up to you at the bar and asking you for your number, yes, right? There, there yes. has to be that awkward, this is the reality, right? But we have to take that initial step. So what are you going to say in that initial step? And if we use the step number three to get clear on on what we're going to say, and then if step number four is actually then making that contact, and you mentioned a couple of different ways, do you have some like preferred methods or is it hit them in, you know, as many different places as we can and have a certain number of contact points? How do you approach that? I mean, you know, and we don't touch too much on that. I mean, there's a lot of information on things like social selling and and contact marketing, but the idea is once you have your ideal list of 100, I mean, number one, connect with them on LinkedIn, right? You know, start like just connect with them and you don't have to put out like some really pretty nice little thing. Just, I mean, if you have a robust enough profile, right. And you say like connect, chances are they're going to connect with you. They're like, okay, this person's legit. But, you know, I mean, the idea is, is that you're going to start to put out the right content that's going to engage with them, or maybe you even want to tag them in a post and get their opinion on something, or you connect with them in some way. But the idea is, is that, I mean, at some 
some point, right, we're going to have to get that online conversation offline. Because if yeah. we stay in this online realm, I mean, the reality is, is nobody bought a $10,000, $25,000 product based on email campaign, right? You, you had to get it offline as quickly as possible. So the idea behind this is there's no magic number because I've had people will reach out to me on LinkedIn and be like, listen, I saw you on LinkedIn Live. I really love that conversation. I would love to talk to you specifically about this. Yep, great. Here's my meeting link, right? Boom, done. Yeah. And I have other people that will like be, be messaging me like for literally months. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know if this person is a stalker. <laughs> like, there's like an intention behind their game. So yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, be open and honest and transparent, right? Not that you're trying to sell them, but that, listen, I genuinely believe that, you know, at some point we could help each other, right? I would just love to learn more about you. Right. When can we, when we, can we talk? And if the person's like, I don't really understand, this is why you're having your elevator pitch is so appropriate. It's not what you say, but how you ask, how do you engage the person? Because yeah. if you're genuinely interested in learning more about them, they're genuinely interested in telling you more about themselves. I know salespeople and even like business owners in particular, who are incredibly busy with lots of different things going. Sometimes it's hard to know how much to divide their time up or day up into thinking about prospecting versus, you know, cold, that cold outreach versus interacting with people that you're already engaged in versus the other end as we get further down the pipe. Do you have any ideas on how much sort of, and it's going to vary, so it might be a bit of a how long is a piece of string, but percentage-wise, I'm wondering how much time gets spent in this cold outreach prospecting mode because I think people, a lot of people underdo the amount of time that they're, they're connecting and they wonder why the pipeline is empty. Well, you're not making any new connections. I think it has less to do with the amount of time and the number of connections that you're ultimately yep. making, right? And this is, I mean, this brings us back to that step one, which is, you know, we're not just talking about yeah. how the number of prospects that we're, we're ultimately reaching out to, but your, your prospecting should ultimately lead to meetings, Yes. And if you don't have enough meetings in the pipeline, so for instance, right, Sales 101 says that for every sale you need, you need 10 prospects, right? Mm -hmm. But the number of meetings that you ultimately need, right, and these are guidelines, right? I mean, use it as a, you know, as a starting point and then adjust it as, as accordingly, but at least it gives you a starting number to work with. But you need 10 prospects for every sale. You need four meetings for every sale. You need two proposals for every sale. Now, you're not going to necessarily get to two proposals, but that's the dream. Right? Because if you have twice as many proposals out there as you're going to get sales, you're going to hit your numbers. Right? Yeah. If you have at least you know, four times as many meetings as you have the number of sales, you're likely going to hit your numbers. And if something isn't, if you're not hitting your numbers, right, then take a look at what is falling apart. Right? So yeah. if, I'm calling, if I'm calling on 10 people and I'm not turning 10 conversations into four meetings, that means there's something wrong with that conversation. If I'm turning four meetings, if I can't drive four meetings eventually into two proposals, that means that there's something wrong with the quality of those meetings. And if I can't take two proposals and eventually turn them into one sales, there is something mm. wrong there, right? So where is that sticking point all the way through? But as yeah. long as you manage your, your meetings, ultimately, how many meetings am I having every single week? How many proposals am I putting out there every single week? You will hit your number. And so it's yeah. less about the time and more about the how that time is being reflected in the results that you're ultimately wanting to achieve. Yeah, I think it makes sense to go back to the, the KPIs and being efficient with that. Yeah. So then we've made, let's say, that first contact. And then now you said ultimately we want to get the, the sales conversation offline. Is that where we kind of bridge to that next step? Is it that phone call or? Phone call, emails, text messaging. I mean, but, but the idea is to get to a one-to-one -one conversation. Yeah. And the, the goal of that one-to-one -one conversation is to get the meeting. Right. And whether that is a booked phone meeting, a Zoom meeting face to face or like an in-person meeting, if it's not in somebody's calendar, it doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. It's not important. If they have said, listen, I am willing to give you an hour of my time because all else being equal, I could do something with an hour of my time. Right. I mean, the opportunity cost of that hour, it could be I would be out there spending on my own business development or making another process more efficient. But what I've said is that out of all the things I could be doing with my time, I have decided that I'm going to give David that hour. Right. That means I find already that valuable. So we want to create that conversation 
and get that that meeting offline. So that's going to be phone calls. That's going to be those email. And, and here's the reality is that too many people start with the email transaction, right? Email should mm. be your last transaction, right? Because I, I mean, the reality is, is that the number of people that are getting 20, 50, 250 emails every single day and like literally opening them and responding to them. Thank you so much for your request. I'm not really interested. It's not real. Right? So why do we think that our buyers are somehow different than us? Right? Whereas when we get a phone call, right? As long as you're intentional in your phone call, not that we're, we're there to, to display, but we're rather like, listen, we've been connected on LinkedIn. Listen, I, I read an article that you had posted. Listen, I'm going to be attending this conference, you know, I wanted to know if you were going to be there. I'm hosting a lunch and learn, whatever it is, right? There's so many reasons we can connect with somebody. Just find one and be willing to go back again and again. If I could turn every single phone call into an immediate meeting, oh my goodness, I would be a billionaire by now, right? But the reality is, is it doesn't work that way, right? We have to be willing to go because you've created your hot 100 list. These are the people I would be honored to be doing business with. You have to be willing to try and try again. I would never be married to my husband if the first time he asked me out, I, he actually accepted the no that I told him. Right? He asked me out four times before I finally said yes. And now here, here we are, like, you know, eventually married. So, I mean, he's the ultimate closer when you get down to it. <laughs> but the idea is that you want to be, because we're starting with a relationship, relationship first, right? Focus yeah. on that relationship. Be willing to go back with the reasons and the seasons, right? Every season you connect with the person again, you connect with them yeah. again. After four or five times, if they don't give you the meeting, then decide whether they're worth keeping you on the hot 100 list or if you decide to push them off, yeah. right? Thanks so much. You know, let's just put somebody else in there. So if we, just to spell out those steps, if we say then that initial contact, would you include the follow-up component to get them into the one-on-one as part of that? This is just when we we document it. Do you yeah. have it as a separate step or included in that step? It's, same, same. It, it's, it, they, they are prospect suspect until yeah. they've actually moved Perfect. forward, right? So, so just, until you, until you yeah. get the meeting, your intention at that point is to get the meeting. And until you get the meeting, they will stay in that spot. Yeah. And then we move them into, let's say the one-on-one, let's say that now with that, is that, you know, depending on how you connect with them, Zoom or phone or whatever that meeting. And then, yeah, we kind of move into that step. Is that yeah. A scripted type thing or a process then you're moving them through or? It is. So I like to call that step the lead qualification step. All right. Yep. And the lead qualification step is now that they have accepted that first date, essentially, yep. right? Yes, I agree to go on that date with you. This is not where we tell them all about ourselves, but rather sit back and ask ourselves, is this the right client that I want to work with? Is this somebody that I would eventually want to marry? And through the lead qualification step, this is where we ask a lot of questions. And I actually, I stole from IBM, right? IBM created the, the acronym BANT. And I won't get into why BANT works or why it does. I love it. I love it. And it's easy. So I'm going to continue to use it. But BANT is Budget, Authority, Need, and Timeline is the acronym. And so essentially what we want to know is how much, you know, like what's the financial component of the conversation, right? Who else is going to be a part of this conversation? Where does the client want to be? Where are they they currently? And then the timeline is not just when do they want to make a decision, but why is that date so important to them? What is the impact going to be on their business if this doesn't come forward? And if we can't clarify any one of those or any one of those is gray, they stay in lead qualification phase because you cannot move a sales cycle forward if you don't know how much money that they're willing to invest or how much they're willing or how much an investment would impact their business financially. We cannot help move them forward if we can't articulate where they are and how it will impact their business and where they want to be, right? If, if a client's like, well, we're just happy being where we are, well, mm-hmm. why would they even invest with you, right? If they're happy where they are and you're there to help them achieve more or become better, they're already happy. There's no need for that. You know, who else is the part of this decision-making? I mean, here's the reality is in business-to-business transactions, there's more than one person who's ultimately going to be a part of this decision maker. There might only be one decision maker, right? But every decision maker has an influencer. Every decision maker will typically want to have conversations with other people or get their other opinions or ultimately decide between not just product A or product B or product A or keeping it in house, 
right? Do we even choose to outsource this? Do we choose to, to go ahead and invest outside when we could still do it in-house? So that is a decision that needs to be made. And then the timeline is always the biggest one, right? I always find people that will, when, you know, I use the example, right? Thank you very much for the proposal. We'll contact you when we're ready. That is like the number one reason. I'm like, you were not lead qualified, right? You did not know why that client needed to make that decision and when they need to make the decision by. Because when we start to talk to them about the sale after the sell, right? Why, like when you and I are done this transaction and we're no longer a part of that, how are they going to use that transaction to grow their business? What does that mean to them? And then we backtrack it until they get to a point where they have to make that decision today or within two weeks from today. That's so is that magic. part of that first bit or is that the, on the second date? So the first date is obviously all focusing around band, asking the right questions, are we the mm-hmm. right fit? And then how does that meeting usually close out? Like where, where's it kind of left off now? We know, okay, yeah, you are a good fit. So, I mean, you, you'll stay in lead qualification until you're lead qualified, right? I mean, yeah. here's the thing is that, you know, until you are clear on the band portion, I mean, that most times that will be one meeting or it might even be half yeah. a meeting there might be situations where it might be two or three meetings, right? Yes. But you cannot help because in the next step after, after step five, which is lead qualification, lead, you know, step number, number six or seven, depending on how we look at this, which will be value creation. How do you even create value for somebody if you don't even know where you want to take them? Right. Yes. And so, and so until you understand where they want to be and, you know, and how this will impact their business, we can't help create more value by them investing in us. So however long that takes, whether that is, you know, half a meeting, um, a single 20 minute phone call or, you know, a full meeting or two meetings. I mean, you're, you're in that stage until you move forward. Uh, the, the, the bottom line is that you cannot propose right? You cannot Mm. deliver a proposal to somebody if you don't know that, you know, what their timeline is on when they even want to make a decision or how much they're willing to invest. So then if we transition, so let's say we have qualified them and then we move into this, um, the next step around the value identification, value creation for them. That's yeah. Tell us a little bit about how this step works. Yeah. So in the value creation, this is where we typically ask a lot of questions, right? And this is, I mean, this is all like, and this is the robustness of sales. It's about asking as many questions as you possibly can. And, and the reason why I said it kind of overlaps between six and seven is because in, in our specific process, we include the impact of emotional intelligence in the conversation mm-hmm. and, and emotional intelligence should, should ideally flow throughout the entire sales but we kind of fit it between the, the lead qualification and the value creation because at this point, if we haven't touched on it, we really need to touch on it, which will be, you know, and how does that make you feel, right? And how would, you know, when you get there, how would that make you feel? But in the value creation phase, this is about asking those open-ended questions, your who, what, where, when, how, and why. And when we find ourselves deviating towards a closed-ended question, right? Do you, could you, should you, are you, is this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those are closed-ended questions. They paint us in a corner. And when we're painted in a corner, we have nowhere to go, right? Is this something you would find of value? Well, yes. Okay. Right. Are you the decision maker? Yeah, I guess so. Right. Like, you know, is this within your budget? Yeah, sure. Right. Like, what does that ultimately mean? Right. Whereas when we, when you ask them the open-ended questions, right, what do you find of value, right? Who else is going to be a part of this decision? How will you measure the impact on the success of this project? Now, all of a sudden we're, uh, we're opening up the conversation and we're becoming very vast and we're becoming creative and collaborative with our mm-hmm. clients. And at the end of the day, our clients want to work with people that are going to work with us, not at us. Yeah. Yeah. So the purpose of that value creation step, or one of the key ones is to have them involved in the process in identifying where that value is. I can't tell you what is valuable to you, right? Yes. And I, yeah. I can't tell you how something specific is going to impact you, right? I mean, in, inside of our sales process, I mean, we play a fun game where we all fall into radioactive goo, right? You all fell into radioactive goo, right? You're now a superhero. What's your superpower? Now, here's the reality is that I've given you, you know, some type of output, right? Uh, or given you the input. And whatever you come out of that, everybody is completely individual, unique, and different, right? We all develop some type of different superpower, even though we all fell in the same radioactive goo. And in our client's case, right, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm engineering services or an accountant or, you know, a business consultant. I mean, I'm probably going to give you some type of same input. 
but yeah. the way it impacts your business and how many clients you achieve, how much you've in, uh, increased your profitability, how much more revenue you've gained out of that is going to be completely individual and unique. I mean, later on, it will ultimately impact how we communicate the return on investment to our client. It is not up to us to tell our client what their return on investment is with us. It is up to us to ask them the questions and find out when they invest with us, how will this impact their business? Because yeah. at the end of the day, we all have our all individual dreams, goals, and ambitions, and we will take what we want and achieve more with where we want to take it. Yeah. So what then how do we move to the next stage? So, so after that sort of uh, yeah value creation. Yeah, yeah. So so now we we got into the value creation, right? We ultimately, I mean, you know, and, and one of the biggest things with the value creation phase is to it, we use the analogy of the transportation versus destination, right? When you get on a plane with somebody, right? Let's say you know whether you're you're flying Qantas or if you're listening to this in the states, right? Your Delta or wherever else. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the plane, the airline is going to go ahead and try to sell you a vacation, right? And they're going to like get on this plane and everything, and they focus not necessarily on whether it is Australia in the middle of December when it's beautiful, maybe in December because it's too hot. <laughs> but, you know, they're not going to focus you on that, right? You're, they're going to focus you on like, you know, Chicago in the middle of February, right? Where it's like brutally cold and it's icy and like they love to remind you like it's August now, like don't forget it's going to be, you know, winter anytime soon. And then they take you to this beautiful destination and they, they imagine, make you imagine the beach, right? And they show you like, you know, Cancun or the Caribbean or something. You're in this beautiful place. Now, now the idea behind this is not that Qantas and Delta or, you know, if you're listening to this thing in Canada, Air Canada, we're focusing on what you ultimately buy, which is a seat on a plane. Right? And if the entire commercial was based on, listen, we're going to get you on this size of seat. It's going to be this wonderful, like, you know, gray leather that has been pre-warmed up by the guy that was sitting there for the last six hours, farting up a storm, right? And we're going to like cattle call you through here, right? Nobody would buy that process. We buy what we ultimately get because of that process, right? We, we will endure a lot of pain, right? Because airline travel sucks for the most part, right? And, you know, changing any type of process in our company is going to suck for the most part. But we will invest in that because we get to the beach. Now, the reality is, is that Qantas doesn't really care what you do the moment you get off that plane. But they will focus your entire attention on that beach, right? And they're like, this is where we will help to get you beyond that. So that's, I mean, that's part of that value creation stage. And when we've mm. articulated the difference between the transportation versus the destination, which we should never talk about the transportation, right? This is what we do. We, we help save costs, save money, energy, blah, 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 because of the process we're involved. But rather, what does the client do after that sale? Then we can move into the proposal stage, which, which is stage number eight. Yeah. I mean, and everything, everything throughout the entire sales cycle is really driven towards the proposal. And I love getting to this point in the sales process with people because this is where like everything starts to click. And they're like, oh, I know why I was asking those questions. I know why I'm like, you know, like this is, doesn't feel arbitrary. I'm actually filling in a document that I'm going to present to my client that they're going to be ready. Now, the key with the proposal, very similar to romantic relationships is we do not propose to anybody unless we feel like a certain level of certainty that they're going to say yes, right? We want to feel like at least 80% certain that the person is going to say yes, because if we feel like it's going to be a flip of a coin, why would we spend all this time and energy like buying the ring and prepare, like proposing in front of, you know, the jumbotron at a giant stadium only to have the woman be like shaking her head like, I don't even know the guy, like this is date number three, right? <laughs> you know, like you're going to crash and burn. So you want to go in with a certain level of certainty that you are going to get the deal. Now, the quickest way of doing that is before you leave your last meeting in value creation and before entering your first meeting in the proposal stage is to set up this for success. Listen, in our next meeting, I'm going to give you everything you need to make a decision. Okay. Now the yep. wording in that is so clear because I'm actually like, I'm prefacing that they're like, you should be ready to make a decision at this point. And if you tell me that you're not ready to make a decision, stay in value creation. Don't move on. Do not pass go. Do not collect your $200 because you're not there yet. At this point in time, the client will tell you what more they need to find out. Well, we have to have a demo or, you know, I realize that, you know, we have to get Karen involved and you're like, okay, great. This is a great time to know. Not when I'm like sitting there with a contract and like sweating like all over the place because I'm like, I'd already promised my sales manager that this deal was going to happen. 
So the proposal, at the proposal stage, I mean, this is really where we now are outlining the entire journey that we have gone on. And the proposal is a story, and the proposal is a selling document, and it is not to be confused with a contract or a scope of work or a letter of attention or anything else like that. Those are all different documents. The proposal is a proposal. The proposal, number one, should be delivered in person, hands down. Right? If you are selling a premium service at a premium price, you deliver this proposal in person. And if you're not in a geography where you can be face-to-face -face with a person, you have Zoom, you have Skype, you have FaceTime. Right? But there is absolutely zero excuses why you should just email somebody the proposal. Mm -hmm. Because hands down, I think there would be a lot less married people if every single person accepted, like, hey, baby, want to get hitched? Send. Right? <laughs> you know? We need to have that proposal delivered to us in person. And the nice thing is if if you're not in the same geography where you can deliver the proposal in person using a method like zoom or Skype you can actually number one you do a screen share right so you're in control of the conversation number two you record it so if there's somebody that is needing to see the information from the proposal on top of actually sending them the PDF document after the call you can also send them a link to the recording so that somebody can actually go through and be like, oh, what did she actually say in, you know, the, the timeline or in the solution or anything else like that? You can actually drive yourself to that particular area as opposed to feeling like you're playing the telephone game and like, oh, well, I think this is what she meant, but I wasn't really sure and I'm just going to communicate something. So the proposal, it's a story, it is a journey, we're covering the transportation, the reasons why we, this is how far we've come, this is where we will achieve in our life, and this is where our marriage will look like by being together. And you touched on a few components there, and it's good. I think the framework is such that it could be applied to a lot of different situations and businesses. Um, are there, like if we put some specific like makeup or structure to a proposal? Have, have you have you got any sort of either? I, yeah. yeah, I call it the six slide proposal, right? Like yeah. that's it. Like your, your proposal should not be more than six slides. Like simplicity is key. And so, I mean, the, the proposal starts off by number one, outlining the client's goals. Outside yep. of your product or service, right? Outside of them ever choosing to invest in anything, where does your client want to be in a year, three years, five years from now? Now, the reason why we want to articulate that is because number one, we should somehow be like work into helping them achieve that goal. Going back to the idea of the transportation destination, the goal is ultimately to get to that beach, right? Mm. I want to get to that beach vacation. Okay, great. Number one, it's easy for the client to say yes, like yes, I agree to that. Number two is that if you get that portion wrong, like throw the rest of your proposal out the window. Because if you can't help a client like articulate where they want to be in a year or three years or five years from now, then like it doesn't even matter how great of a product or service it is. Like you, you don't know what your client, where your client wants to be. The second slide is the current state, right? So, so now we're going back to that transportation destination. We're going to where am I currently? And what is the impact of not changing? And how will that make me feel? So this isn't just talking about being in Chicago. This is now talking about being Chicago in the middle of February and how it will make me feel terrible because I'm having to endure this bitter winter. If I don't leave Chicago in the middle of February, I have to endure like another nine weeks of winter, right? Like this is like, I need to leave at this point. And then we get to the ideal state. So the ideal, so that's slide three. Ideal state is slide three. And the ideal state is ultimately, now that we've gotten on the plane, we're getting to the Cancun airport, right? We are getting to the airport. We're helping to get you closer to the beach. But as soon as we get to you to the airport, we're out. We can only get you so far. And this is where you're, what you're ultimately going to be once our product and service is finished, right? Once we have finished our agreement or once, um, you know, every, if you're in an ongoing relationship, this will be once it is working seamlessly, right? We've, mm -hmm. We're done the growing pains at this point in time. Which brings us then to slide number four, which is now we're talking about the, the solution, right? And the solution is done very high level. This is like, you know, so now, so now we know where we need to go, right? The solution becomes like that transportation, right? How are we going to impact that business? Right? So now you're going to get on the plane, right? And the plane's going to fly for six hours and everything, right? Very high level. Now you can talk about one, two or three solutions, never more than three. And there is a lot of psychology behind how many solutions you choose to provide. 
but we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the persuasion side of it. But you can provide different types of solutions, but keep it very high level. And the reason why we also do it on PowerPoint is because you ha- you are forced to keep it concise. Mm-hmm. If the client wants more detail, that's what the contract or scope of work or other documentation is available for. In a, in a PowerPoint document or Google Slides or however you want to do it, you're forced to keep it to like, you know, three, five bullet points. And then we go into the timeline. So now this is where we pull up that BANT portion. Right, um, because it's not just when do we want to be finished, but what when we're finished, how will the client use that that business transaction? Right, when we when we have given them a brand new accounting platform, right now they're going to be able to get their taxes done way faster than they thought before. Now that they have this um, you know project management thing, right, they're going to be able to apply for bigger proposals to for their ultimate clients. And we're going to work ourselves backwards, right? So that's the date that the client said absolutely need to be done. Here's what they're going to be able to do because of that date. And then backwards to that means that they ultimately have to make a decision within today or two weeks from today, which then brings us to the price, right? So slide number six, right? The, the price or investment slash the return on investment. Because when we present price, right? Unlike when I was taught in Xerox, right? We were always taught to do price and you always had to do your proposal and you do it with a sheet of paper and you hide the price, right? And it's just like you're some type of magician. And then when you go ahead and you explain all the return on investment, you unveil the price as if it was magic. And the client would be like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I never thought it was going to be that low. But that never happened. Right? <laughs> Everybody always gets sticker shot, even when we fully anticipate what the price will be with our client. And so I like to just present the elephant in the room. But if you're going to throw them the anchor, that is price, right? It's heavy. Price is heavy. And it's anchors and it weighs us down. Help to lift them up with all of the ands. And for this investment, and, 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 and all of those little ands is up to the client on why they told you why they need to invest. And because when we have a better system, we're going to be able to take on more capacity for more clients. And when we have that, we're going to be able to onboard our employees faster and, 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 and we're going to remind them of all those ands. And then ultimately you close it off. I don't include the last slide, but it's the next steps, right? So we're just reminding them, you're going to get all this, but now we have to now take action. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So I think that that kind of gets the proposal bit. And I suppose that's where that bridge is to that next step because the proposal is just delivering. Do you want some form of agreement at that point or is well, it? Ideally. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, if we can, that's great. Right. But I mean, here's, here's the reality is that if you're, if you're positioned at a premium price, right. Most of the time your client isn't ready at that moment to say yes. Right. They're just like, okay, like this is great. Right. So, I mean, but we don't want to just like, you know, they're going to, and where we actually want to get them to is, um, so we get into the negotiation and oftentimes the the proposal and the negotiation will be the same day or the same meeting, but it may not be. Delineate negotiation as a separate step. Yes. And the reason why is because what we have done with our client is this is our opening offer right? This is where we're going to start the conversation. And where we want to leave the client is where we have at minimum agreed to the highest level. Do you agree that this relationship is worth continuing on? Do you agree that mm-hmm. what, what we have talked about so far is worth us continuing to pursue, right? If your client is in a position where they're ready to take action today, fantastic. Like don't stop that, right? I mean, and always, always have your proposal um, ready with your contract, right? Have the contract available so that you can sign it like right then and there. But I mean, if, if the person's not ready, which in most cases, when you're positioned at a premium, right, you are the, the mid to high level price, they need a moment because they're like, whoa, that's like, you know, that's still a lot of money I was I'm expecting. Or ideally, we're actually going to plant seeds throughout the sales process on where to expect our, our pricing structure. But even when they see it now on paper, now it's a reality. Oh, okay, well, I still need to, you know, get approval and that's da, 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 da. great, right? Can we agree that this is something that we're going to continue to pursue? Can we agree that the conversations that we've had so far, but that definitely be the ones that are going to help you grow your business? Yeah, we can agree on that. Okay, great. So we've agreed to the highest level, which brings us then to the negotiation. And the negotiation, the biggest thing I like to say is as much as possible, never negotiate on price right? The price is, I mean, it's sacred, right? And, you know, Mm. your price is what your price, hold it with pride, right? And you can only compete on three different things. You can compete on your quality, your service, your price, right? It's the quality service price triangle. And if you choose to negotiate on price, that means you have to give something else up. Are you giving up your quality or you're giving your service? 
because you can't have all three. So I would much rather negotiate on either the, the quality, right? What are they ultimately getting? Maybe that's less of a product. Maybe we add a little bit more to help bridge up the price. Maybe it's service. Maybe there's support. Maybe there's additional um, impact that we can create on their business, right? We can provide them with more and more and more, ultimately keeping that price level the same. Or there's other things that we can negotiate on, such as payment terms or plans, or how do we incorporate with our clients? And how do you ultimately get to a point where you're rotating your sales cycle through referral? and testimonials. And now the nice thing is when you have your hot 100 list, you can actually be more specific and like, you know, listen, I would love to have an introduction to Greg at ABC company because I know I saw on your LinkedIn that you guys work together. Yeah, I could do that. Okay, that's valuable to me, right? Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm willing to negotiate. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, definitely the replacement, if, if there is going to be a change anywhere, then there needs to be the equal and opposite change. You don't want to just take away because then that kind of undermines well how did you even decide your price in the first place yeah there's a give and get relationship right and you know and oftentimes people will will often negotiate on price uh, price becomes really one of two things right it's either that they don't understand the value or they just it's not the price it's the cash flow right or you'll have certain there are certain roles or certain people that will just know always negotiate well i'm just going to ask if i can get cheaper right okay well yeah. fine but if you say yes too easy, right? I mean, what are you kind of leaving the other person like, like, oh, I should have asked for more. I had no idea I had so much wiggle room, right? And, you know, and so just leave price as it is and play with some of the other levers first. And then if you absolutely have to, then play with price. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, because you've entered into the proposal stage, 80% certain that you're going to get the deal, right? I mean, you know, at this point in time, we're just, I mean, we're just hashing things out. And this is a collaborative process, right? This is an adversarial process. This isn't, well, you know, one person wins and the other person loses. It's how do we create more in this relationship altogether? And if they get to the proposal stage, I mean, they've already chosen you, right? So don't go ahead and drop your pants and see like, you know, okay, like here it is, right? I mean, they've already chosen chosen that you're the person that they want to be in a relationship with. So just go ahead and figure out how, what do the details have to look like for us to agree to move forward on this? Yeah. And then, so, so at that point, uh, the takeaway to then move through to the next step is reaching that agreement and then going, great, we've we got a deal now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you negotiated and then I guess the final step is now, you know, just like continuing to follow up with them and then, you know, giving yourself those cross-selling and upselling opportunities later on because the, the relationship doesn't end because you've signed a piece of paper right? I mean, the, the marriage doesn't end because you said, I do at the altar, right? There's this whole marriage process as well. And this is where a lot of like marriages will fail is because everyone was so excited to get to the wedding. And then they're like, oh, okay, well, now that we're married, like, you know, what do we do? But I mean, like the reason why you got to that proposal stage is because you want to be married to the person. So continue to serve them, continue to support them, give them opportunities. So, I mean, if somebody invests a dollar with you, they're more likely to invest another dollar with you. So as you continue to expand your level of services, you go back to them and approach them with new opportunities, new, new prospects, ask them for the referrals. Like, like the reality is, is 89% of clients will be willing to refer and yet only 23% do. And it's because we never ask. And it's not about asking, do you know of anybody? But it's like, who do you know? Who do you know in that company? Or who do you know in, you know, other engineering companies that would also benefit from the service? Ask for testimonials, video testimonials, right? All of that stuff provides value, but this is all part of the relationship. You can turn a great sales process sour very quickly by leaving someone hanging at the end after they've said, you know what, I believe in this relationship. I trust this. And then you're just like, okay, I got my money. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. The framework that we've gone through, because you kind of have each of the key stages, it's, it's broad enough that it can be tailored to everybody's individual situation and then business. And then I think the key is to go through these step-by-steps and then decide what your playbook looks like for each of the different steps. So, for example, that last step, thinking, okay, well, we have a process for following up, we have a process for upselling, potentially capturing, you know, might even happen before that, capturing a, a case study or a testimonial, asking for a referral. So I suppose it's almost like the key steps we've gone through are the, the main pillars and you want to make sure underneath each one of those you have 
your specific steps. Is that kind of how you approach it when you work with them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, and it's, it's not just, you know, choosing a process that like, I mean, like that's the outline process, right? And yes. I mean, it's a guideline. It's not the rule book, right? And the reason why we, we assign like open-ended homework assignments is because it becomes every single rep's individualized playbook. Because if I give David all the questions he needs to ask, he's just going to run through the questions like he's a robot, right? Yes, okay, yes. well, you know, who else is a decision maker? No, we, language matters, right? And we choose language specifically because it has some type of meaning to us. We, we feel more comfortable asking a question in a certain way. And it can be everything from the way tone and inflections all the way through, you know, how we ultimately convey it all the way through. So use it as the framework, as the skeleton, if you will, right? And then how the the skin and the uh, muscles and everything else goes on. I mean, that's entirely up to you. Everyone's skeleton is the exact same, right? How everyone looks on the outside is completely individual and unique. Yeah, makes perfect sense. So with the the recap, do you want to run us through those steps high level one last time? Yeah, yeah. So we go through a 10 week process. And so every week we cover a different step within the process in our sales cycle buyers journey, you're going to see six of them, because we cover a whole bunch in three portions. So you have your, your goal setting your sales funnel and planning. Number two, you have your buyer persona and prospecting, right? What are some of the ways that your buy, your ideal buyer wants to be approached with? How can you find them? Uh, number three is a value proposition and elevator pitch, right? What are the, the statements that you're going to give that's going to start getting that conversation going? Number four is calling for meetings and introductory emails. We don't call it cold calling because you've hand selected these people. So we, the intention is to call them for that meeting. How do we get that meeting? Number five, lead qualification. Number six, we go through emotional intelligence and how to use that appropriately in a business-to-business setting. Uh, Number seven is value creation, eight proposals, nine pricing persuasions and negotiations, and 10 cross-selling follow-up. Perfect. I know if people want to find out more, and because you've gone, obviously, this is very high level to go into each of these in more detail, and you've got the training program, and you've obviously got the book coming out, where's the best people to go to find out more about your process? Yeah. So my website is kimberleski.com. If you go slash apply to KO Sales U with dashes in between, you can find out all about our KO Sales U program. And yes, and sell more faster. It will be officially out on July 31st. And you can find that on any online book retailer, Amazon, and wherever you like to buy books, you can go and check that out. And that goes through even deeper into, into some of these sales process. Plus with a lot, of, if you like my stories, I got lots of stories in the book. <laughs> That's good. The stories kind of tie it all together and make it you know, more interesting than just step one, do this, step two, do that. So Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it's more meaningful when you see how it related to somebody, right? Or, right. you know, like you're like, oh, okay, I get it. And I mean, we've been doing this for, I mean, years now, right? We have, you know, literally hundreds, maybe thousands of clients. I'm not even too sure now. And so I have, I have a lot of stories. And so it was a a fantastic journey to write the book and be able to remember all of the conversations I had with people and include their experience throughout the journey that you'll read in the book, Sell More Faster. Perfect. And I'll include a link underneath the session anyway to get back over to the website. And once they have a look around, they'll, they'll spot the book. So Kim, we'll wrap up there. A big thank you for your time and, and very generous with the knowledge. Yeah, thank very you. much enjoyed having you on the summit. Oh, thank you so much. I love being on here. And absolutely, I believe that, you know, education is not the same as application. So whatever you guys learn from this, like go and do something with it. Even if it's simply just to send me an email and tell me how much you enjoyed it. Perfect. Thanks again, Kim. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.